following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 5. This is the very last section of, of James we've been in it for a couple of months. And I wanted us to take a look at this final words in the, the final five verses in James. James 5 beginning in verse 16. This is a little bit of an overlap, but listen to what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Before I say anything else, have you ever thought of that? I've never thought of that before. Confess your sins to one another. I think primarily what he's talking about is when I sin against you, I should come to you and confess my sin and ask for your forgiveness. But it's also, obviously in the context, he's talking about we ought to be so transparent with each other that we have a close enough relationship that we can be honest about what's going on in our lives and what we're struggling with and what we want prayer for. We need to be a praying church, that's for sure, and that's what this last section is about. He first of all talks about effective prayer, And it's introduced in verse 16, and then he gives us an example in the next few verses. Listen to what he says. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective, that's a word, energeo, which is a word for energy. It's it's what is power producing effects. It's looking at power as it produces effects in our lives. When was the last time that you were absolutely certain that God had manifested his mighty power in your life and taking you through something or blessing your heart, filling your heart with love for Christ? And so he says, Elijah was, now he gives us this example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. It's actually, the word earnestly here refers to praying from the heart, expressing your deep desires. And he said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. He wanted God to do that because he wanted to get the attention of the nation who was not paying attention to who they were and who God was. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured and rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We've talked about this before, that God was in control of the climate, and so they planted at a particular time after God had brought the early rain, and then they would they would take care of the crop as the as the rains would come and water the fields because God did it. They knew they were totally and completely dependent upon God. But during Elijah's days, the nation forgot about God. They became enamored with other things. And so he says in verse nineteen, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I don't know if you've ever gotten off track. You've got off the path of following Christ, and it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing trip that is so destructive, and it's such, it does such damage in our lives. This passage is talking about how we ought to be concerned for each other as members of the body of Christ, that we actually ought to think that we are one another's business. In other words, I care enough about you that I would speak to you when you were struggling, or I would speak to you when you were going through hard trials, and I would try to encourage you and instruct you. That's what we are called to do in the lives of each other. 
And so here in this passage, he's telling us about, about effective prayer. Now, the word effective means power. It means power in manifestation. You see the power of God in the effects that it produces in lives as we pray for people. And uh, I think it's a very common thing for us to get to the place where we really have no real faith that God will answer prayer. In fact, it's somebody, somebody told me not too long ago that after sitting in our service a few times that uh, our, you, she said, you, I notice that you pray a lot, but it's kind of a, is it ritualistic or what? And I think what she was talking about was the fact that it doesn't seem like we expect God to answer our prayers. In our Bible study, we've been praying primarily for Buddy Adkins. And um, he's, the trials he's going through, he has muscular dystrophy, and the family is, is really overwhelmed with the load of it. It's amazing what they're going through. And he's been in the hospital, had a bed sore that was very invasive and, and could have really done huge damage to him, but the Lord has been so gracious in bringing them through. But it was wonderful as a, as a house fellowship to pray together that we together, banded together, and prayed for him and prayed that God would work in his life. But sometimes we pray without any expectations that God's going to do anything. Other times we're desperate, and so we plead with him. And that's what this word means when it says he prayed earnestly. That word, supplication, means expressing the deepest desires of my heart. What's the deepest desire of your heart? What do you want from God? What do you want God to be doing in your life? I, uh, I sent a friend of mine a little article, which I probably can't find, but I sent him this little article about, um, about preaching. He's a young preacher. He was a student of mine and used to go to church here, actually, and he was a student of mine in, in seminary and Bible college. And he, uh, he has really struggled to pour his heart out and his life out in preaching the Word of God and touching people's lives. So I sent him this article that I thought was so helpful. And the gist of it is this. The guy says, pray that our preaching would be word-focused, that we're preaching the Bible. We're not preaching the comic books. We're preaching the Bible. So we come to the Word of God and we preach it. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharp than a two-edged sword. And also, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture, that is all written Scripture, is God-breathed which means it was created by God. And God's involvement in the word of God, it wasn't just a bunch of men that decided to write something down. It was God working in the hearts of men and bearing them along. And he says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, the word of God has great, great benefit. And so we're supposed to be preaching the word, it's, and our preaching is to be word-focused. That's what we preach, is the Word of God. It's also to be God-glorifying. We want God to be seen for who He is. We want our hearts to be lifted up in praise and adoration of the living God. And it's to be saturated, gospel-saturated, which means the message of the Word of God, the central message of the Word of God is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He has come into this world. There really is a salvation. There really is an experience of salvation where you come to faith in Christ and your heart is changed. The Spirit of God takes up residence in you and you become aware that you're in the presence of the living God. It changes your life. It changes your perspective. It changes the goal of your life. I actually want to have, I want to have some kind of impact on the people that I get to know. 
That was a blessing to me to hear my son say he remembered something that Mitch Peterson said. I hardly remember anything he said. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that. But that's, that's a wonderful thing to think that your children are affected by other Christian adults. In fact, when, he, when my son got saved, we, were, we went down to play basketball with a bunch of young guys, Mitch's age at that time. He used to be young. And uh, we'd go, we went down there and played ball. And I talked to him about the gospel all the way down there as we drove to the schoolyard to, to play basketball. All the way down there, I was talking about the gospel. And while we were there, he was listening to these guys talk with each other. They were all serious believers. They loved Christ. And they loved life. They were fun to be around. And that day, he came to faith in Christ. I didn't know for sure, but my wife told me, oh, he got saved. He's changed. There's a change that's taken place. And you know what? Think of that. We're in a little community, a small little community of believers, and we actually want our children to be impacted by the lives of adults in this church. We want them to have input into their life. We want them to have impact on their life. We want them to see Christ being formed in them. So I, what my greatest desire is to see all of you growing in the faith, growing in your relationship with Christ, coming to maturity in Christ, and talking with people about Christ. You never know who's listening. You never do know who's listening. But when we talk to each other about Christ, I love to eavesdrop on people when they're talking about Christ. That's a wonderful thing. I, I like it when I see people praying over their food in a restaurant and trying to hear what they're actually saying. Do they actually know Christ? And, and it's that way in our conversations, in all the things that we do, whenever we're together, whatever we're doing, to hear people's hearts express their love for Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that's ever happened to us is we came to know him, and he put his life in us. And now we have the life of Jesus Christ in us. We have the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have a relationship with the Father that we can approach and we can speak freely to, and he hears us. See, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, which means it's hidden. You can't see it. We have so many. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, which means you can't count them. They're far more than you can even begin to list. And you can't see them because they were given to us as a result of Christ finishing his work and going back to the Father. But it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to live within a community of faith where people are talking about Christ. This passage that I read here, I can remember when I read it recently, just the thought of us confessing our sins one to another, that having enough confidence in our relationships that we can, we can talk about Christ and how he's worked in our life and how he's brought us to conviction about some things. Uh, he brings us to conviction about how we're supposed to treat people. We're to love Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. That means when, you, when you're loving your neighbor, when you're loving your neighbor and you need to tell them something difficult for them to hear, what we are instructed to do is to continue to love them and speak the truth in love. Instead of beating them up with words, we use words to communicate truth, and even though they may sting a bit, we want to let them know that we love them, and that's the reason we have something to say to them. 
I've, I've mentioned this to some of you, that something about a local church that sometimes goes awry, and that is when somebody in the life of the church has some, some real um, people-person problems. They don't know how to get along with people, and the way they talk to people, and the way they treat people, and so forth. Everybody in the church knows it, and they even mention it to each other. It's kind of a joke, you know. Uh, instead of telling the person, and the reason we have a hard time telling the person is that we, don't, we can't understand how can we speak truth to them and still love them. Well, that's exactly what you're, you're commanded to do, speak the truth in love. We're to tell each other the truth. And I want to tell you, I've experienced that many, many times, people telling me the truth in love. I've had some of them not love me and tell me the truth. Uh, but it's a wonderful, isn't it, when you have a brother or a sister in Christ that loves you enough that they tell you the truth, even though it's hard for them to do it, but they're telling you because they know you need to know it. You need to understand it. Well, here in this passage, the, uh, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, James, tells us about effective prayer. What kind of prayer is this? What is effective prayer? Effective prayer is what we're supposed to be exercising. It's what we're supposed to be doing, is praying effective prayer. I don't want to be ineffective in prayer, do you? No, I want to be, I want to be effective. And he gives us, he tells us here how we are to pray effectively. That is, that we can see God at work, the almighty God working in people's lives. We're facing challenges of all kinds in our world today and, and in this community of faith, um, individually and corporately. And it's really impossible, apart from the power of God and the plan of God, to get through these things. And so we need to learn how to pray effectively. According to this text today, there is a way to pray so that God hears and answers and acts on our behalf. And it's one of the greatest thrills in the world to know that God is actually listening to you, for you to actually have the sense that he's hearing what you say, and he knows your heart, he knows what you need, and the Spirit of God empowers you to pray and to ask him to meet these needs so that Christ might be glorified in your life. Um, this first verse that we looked at, verse 16, the second part of that verse, it's just one sentence, but it's a key to answered prayer. This kind of praying produces results. It's a key to answered prayer. This kind of praying produces great results. It can accomplish much, he says. That means it produces huge results. And so we can pray and ask the Father to meet these needs. Um, it means to be strong, to accomplish. It means to manifest power in results seeing the effects of prayer in people's lives. Uh, I have, there's some things going on in some relationships that I have. I'm praying for some people. And I got to tell you, I want God so badly. I want him to empower me to pray like this for them. You know, you live long enough and pretty soon you begin to see things you've seen over and over and over again and people making a left turn and going off the path, and you know what's going to happen. You know how this is going to end up. And so you begin to appeal to the living God, their Father, to work in their lives. That's what we all should be doing. We ought to know each other well enough that we, we pray because we, the people that we love need our prayers. 
God, we want God to hear what's going on, and we want him to act. And so this kind of praying is, uh, is continually powerful, forceful, prevailing over opposition, and accomplishing great results. That's the way he describes it. Now, he has a high view of prayer. He grew up in a house with Jesus, by the way, and so he was exposed to prayer in his family, and he knew the truth about Jesus. He knew who he really was, and so he prayed, and he's, he is admonishing us to pray and telling us that if we pray this way, it's going to accomplish great results. He's going to say that effective prayer is three things. First of all, it's prayer that releases the power of Almighty God. It releases the power of Almighty God. And you know what is going on. You sense it because God is at work. He is motivating you. You remember in the book of First Thessalonians when Paul said, the gospel did not come to you in word only. Now, this church was only about three months old. Paul had gone there and taken the gospel and preached the gospel of this group, and they came to faith, and a church was formed. And now he's writing a few months later, and he says to them, the gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much full conviction. That was Paul's conviction he's talking about. Much full conviction, as you saw what kind of men we became when we were with you for your sakes. Stop and think about that. That is saying that the power of the gospel was manifest in the preachers of the gospel. As they communicated the gospel to this group of people, the people could see that the gospel was having a dynamic effect on the preachers themselves. Their character was being changed. They could see that God was at work. He was doing miraculous, wonderful things and changing character. Sometimes uh, what we see our, our family, our friends facing, we understand it could be so destructive. We also understand that if we begin to look at ourselves and think, I don't know how I could change this, we realize we can't change it. All of you who have raised children have found that out, haven't you? that you don't have the power to change them. You have the power to influence them, but you don't have the power to change them. God does. You ever notice Romans 8, 29? Those whom he foreloved, that's what that word foreknew means, those whom he foreloved, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What that means is God has a plan. God has a plan. He has, he has a, that's what it means to be predestined. It means that God has determined how he's going to conform you into the image of his son. So, Jerry, God has a plan for you. I might get discouraged and wonder, uh, is he working his plan? But I know he has a plan. And that's true of all of you. He has a plan for you. He's going to conform you to the image of Christ, and he's going to use you for his glory. He's going to use you as an example of what it means to have the salvation given to you by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, because we are his workmanship. He's done the work. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of us doing good works then and that will glorify God. God has set his eye upon you. He has determined that he's going to conform you to the image of Christ. And so the rest of us don't have to be in a fit of worry. Because God has determined he's going to change you. Some of, some of you, I have no idea, how could he possibly change you? It just seems so impossible, doesn't it? That's exactly what he says, that he has a plan. 
and he is going to conform you into the image of his son. And so our praying is just a part of God's means. He opens our heart and he allows us to see what needs to take place in one another's lives. And we begin to intercede for each other. We begin to pray. The word he uses here for prayer down in verses 17 and 18 is, is the Greek word deasis, which means to, share, to communicate the deepest desire of your heart. Do you love any believer enough to say, my greatest desire right now is to see them become conformed to the image of Christ? Do you have love for believers like that? That's what he called us to do. That's the reason he creates communities like this, so that we can love each other. This is why the greatest commandment is, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Because then it puts you in a position where from your heart you want to pray for those that you love and to see God work in their life and bring fullness of likeness to Christ. That's what we're praying for. So it's, first of all, prayer that releases the power of Almighty God. And secondly, it's prayer that comes from the heart. That's the very word. He's expressing his deepest desire, the desire of his heart. And that's what he's saying. We, when we pray like this, we're praying to God what we deeply desire him to do in the lives of people and to see them changed, see them conform to the image of Christ. Um, we were, as I said, we've been praying for uh, Buddy and also my grandson, Austin. And uh, these are great, great, great things to pray for because it's absolutely impossible to expect that anything's going to happen unless the Holy Spirit would fill our hearts with hope. That's the only way. If the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with hope as we pray and call upon the name of the Lord for them, that is the only way. And so that's what's going on here. When he uses this word, he's saying, I want you to identify with the need. I want you to be burdened with the need of that person. I want you to call upon God from the depths of your heart because you deeply desire that person to be impacted by the power of the living God. I've told you this before, I'll tell you again. My, my daughter, when my grandson was born, they didn't, think anything, they didn't see anything wrong with him, but it began to develop, and he has this condition called polymicrogyria. And so it's, it's a very serious kind of condition. He can't walk, he can't talk. Uh, we don't know if he's ever going to be able to communicate with us. But I'll never forget the day when she came over to talk to me. And she said, uh, Dad, what am I going to do if he never is able to understand the gospel? Well, I told her what I knew to be true. God is a God of grace. He's going to take care of your son. All you have to do, you love him and you trust Christ. And God will take care of that. Now, we haven't seen that happen yet. He's 19 years old, and he can't talk or walk. He can't do anything on his own. And so God's going to have to do it. There's, there's no other way. There isn't any other way for him to ever come to have any kind of understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ unless God does it. Can he do that? Oh, I know he can, because he's, he's let me know things. There's no way I could have ever understood. But because of his grace towards us, because of the way that he, he saved us. The Father saved us with the blood of his own Son. When you think about his plan to send his Son into the world and be rejected by his own people, I mean, and then to be tortured and hung on a cross 
so that he would fulfill what Adam failed to fulfill, and that is obedience to the Father, perfect obedience to the Father. And now we've been brought into this perfect relationship with God, forgiven and being changed. We're forgiven completely, and we're being changed by his power as we walk with him. And so we can pray for people that we love, people that we wonder if they're going to make it. Are they going to follow Christ? Or are they going to be blown off track? Are they going to put their, their, their attention elsewhere? Isn't that a, that's a hard thing to watch, isn't it? To watch a believer who begins to walk off the path of following Christ. It breaks your heart. And uh, God has given us the assignment to intercede, to pray, and to pray effectively, as he says here. So we pray, first of all, we, we understand that this kind of prayer is releasing the power of God. We're resting in God and his power to work. And then secondly, it's prayer that comes from the heart. We actually care about this. Um, I think the most heartbreaking thing about divorce that we've all watched in other people's lives is uh, when all of a sudden two people who had loved each other and were committed to each other suddenly don't have that any longer. They don't have that concern any longer. It's like it's vanished. And so you begin to pray, God, would you stir the heart? Would you please restore their love for each other? Would you bring reconciliation so that you would be glorified in this reconciliation of these two people? And so we pray for that. And uh, this is our deep desire as we pray for people because we care about them. We really do care about them. And uh, watching that uh, memorial yesterday really touched my heart because uh, the people that we love and we desire so much for them to come to know the, the riches of Christ's grace. And uh, we don't have ultimate control. We're dependent upon God hearing us. Will he listen to you? I want to tell you, yes, he will listen to you. Because we go to him in the name of Christ and the power of the Spirit. And we plead with him to work in lives and to see people changed. Um, the book of Hebrews, we're going through the book of Hebrews in our house fellowship, and one of the things we're noticing is we've been given freedom of speech in the presence of God. We can actually talk to God. We can go right into his presence because of Christ, and we can appeal to him, and we can use plain speech. We can tell him the truth. And the, the whole idea of this, it, it implies intensity of desire. This, this is what we can do. We can tell God what is on our heart, what's burdening us, what we need, we need him to act, we need him to work, we need him to do what we can't do, and we so desperately want to see it happen in their lives. Um, and then the third thing he says is that it is prayer prayed by righteous men and women. Righteous men and women pray these prayers. And let me explain to you what this means. God listens to his children. He listens to those who walk in obedience to his commands, who have confidence in him. You won't pray if you don't keep his commands. Because keeping his commands is an exercise in faith. I trust him. I absolutely trust God's wisdom for my life. I trust him completely. And when I trust him, when I ask, trusting him, 
we're told that he answers our prayer. You know, righteousness means that you have a right standing before God and you're living a right kind of life before God. It means both those things. One has to do with you being in Christ. The other has to be do with Christ being in you and giving you this power and this desire to please him. And so he says, if you want, if you want people that are going to have God's ears, have righteous people. That is, people who are walking in obedience to the living God. Why do I obey God? Why do you obey God? It's because we trust him supremely. We actually trust him. One of the great things about being a Christian is you don't have to uh, go get an, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go get a master's degree. You can just, God knows what he's doing. He knows how to save people. So all you have to do is trust him. And as he opens your eyes to the word of God, you simply trust him and you obey his commandments because you have this absolute trust in him. And so when he says here that the way that uh, earnest prayer comes, the way that prayer that actually produces change comes is through those who have a relationship with God that they walk in obedience to him. They walk in obedience to him. They obey his commandments because they have absolute trust in him. You can trust him. And so as we walk in obedience to him, we can offer up prayers and know that God hears us. We're told this over and over again in Scripture. In Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That isn't works. It's not something you deserve. It's just that the only people who are going to ask God, plead with God, call upon God, are those people who trust him. You don't talk to people that you don't trust. You talk to people that you trust. And you talk to the God that you trust. And then he gives us this example to follow, and it's Elijah. And uh, it's what he's expressing is the desire of this servant. He cared for his people so much, he wanted God to bring about a drought in order to get their attention. So they would see that they needed God, and they would turn in repentance and faith. And so he begins to pray and ask God on an ongoing basis that he would stop the rain. I've never tried that, have you? But, but Elijah had that kind of faith and trust in God, that God could manifest his power to stop the rain and call his people to flee to him and to ask him to deliver them. So how should we pray to see supernatural results? Let me just give you these three things. First of all, uh, pray in keeping with God's will. You need to learn God's will. God's will is found in his word. By the way, the will of God has to do with his desires. It's actually the word for desire. We pray according to his desires. Now, his desires have been, they've been opened up to us in the word of God. We can see what he desires. And so we pray according to his desires. Remember when Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, uh, if there's any way this cup can pass from me without me drinking it, that is without him dying, being dying in such a horrible way, being attacked by his own creatures. He says, if there's any way this is going to pass from me. But then he stops himself right in mid-sentence and says, but not my will. That's the word desire. Not my desire, but your desire. So what we do is we pray according to God's desire. I found this out. God's desire is so much better than mine. God's desire is for people is so much better than my desire for them. And so what we do is we pray according to his desire, and his desire is all over the word of God. You don't have to look far to find out what he desires for you. 
Every person sitting in this room, what God desires is for you to come to an understanding of who Christ is and what he has done and to trust him. Put your faith completely in him. That's what his desire for you is. I don't care what your past is like. I don't care what, you, what you've done or what you haven't done. The fact is God's desire for you is that you would come to know Jesus Christ, to know what he's done and to put your trust in him and to have a relationship with him. That is God's desire. That's an amazing thing. I mean, think about it. Why would God have any desire for you? What have you ever done for him? And yet, that's exactly what he says. He desires you to experience this eternal life in Christ. He wants you to experience the greatest blessing in all of life, to put your trust in a Savior who has died for you and been buried and resurrected for you, and now he can, make, he can reconcile you to the Father. And you can come to have a, a relationship with a God, the only person in the universe who loves you like he does. He loves you perfectly. That's amazing, isn't it? That he loves you perfectly. And there are times when you go through life and you think everything's going to fall apart. Everything's just coming unglued. And then you go to the Word and you remember, wait a minute, God is for me. And Paul says, if God is for you, then who could be against you? He's for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so we are to pray in keeping with God's will. We want to pray what God desires for us and for others. And then secondly, we're to pray with a sense of urgency. You know, if, if it doesn't move you, then don't expect God to be moved. You ever, you ever get in one of those positions where you're concerned about somebody you love and you care for them and you've been starting to pray for them and then all of a sudden it just overwhelms you. God, I can't move from this place. I got to stay here. I got to appeal to you. I am calling upon your name. Please act in this situation. Please move into this situation. Please change these circumstances. Change these hearts. Father, we pray that you'd bring revival to their life, that they would turn to you and repent and find real freedom and forgiveness. And then the last one is, uh, God wants you to come to him with a cleansed heart. You say, well, wait a minute, I don't, how can I do that? If my heart is filthy, how do I come to God with a cleansed heart? Let him cleanse it. Just let him cleanse your heart. That's what he's promised to do. When you rest your faith in Jesus Christ, he's promised to cleanse your heart. In fact, a part of, a, that's already started when you believe in Christ, because the Spirit of God, what we are told in 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 4, that the Spirit of God is the one who opens our eyes to the glory of God in the face of Christ. We come to know him and rest in him and have faith in him. One of the things we need to do as brothers and sisters in Christ is build one another up. We ought to be talking to each other about these glorious gifts from God, that he's given us a Savior that can actually save. He's given us the Spirit of God to live within us that can actually empower us to walk in obedience to Christ and experience the great, great blessings of living the Christian life. So we need to talk with one another. We need to encourage each other. We need to let people know we're praying for them in a very specific way, and we're concerned for them. Where can you go and meet somebody who says, you know, I'm really concerned about you. I've been thinking about you a lot, and I've been praying for you. I've been asking God to really work in your life and to bring you out of this misery that you're in right now. Where could you hear that? In the church 
of Jesus Christ. That's where. There's millions of them, but that's the primary characteristic, is that we actually love one another because of Christ. And we understand that he has saved you for a purpose. And we want to pray that that purpose would be fulfilled. We want God's power to be manifest in your life. Um, I just thought of this thing when he said, uh, confessing our sins one to another. We know the context of that in James chapter 5. But, you know, that's, that's really a good thing for me to tell you. I'm desperate. I have been falling into this trap over and over again. I get discouraged. I get nervous. Just to be honest with each other and say, would you pray for me? Could we pray right now? I would, uh, I would suggest that anytime somebody says, well, yeah, I'd, if you say to them, I want to pray for you, and they say, well, that's great, feel free to pray for me. I say, okay, I'll do it right now. And it's okay to put your hand on their shoulder and call on the name of the Lord and ask him to work in their life. Ask him to open their eyes to the glory of Christ. What is it you received when you believed on Jesus? It was a, a theologian who said... <laughs> He said, there are 73 things mentioned in Scripture that Jesus wanted to accomplish by going to the cross. He he has a desire to transform you and to make you like himself. He wants to bless your life. He wants to fill your heart with love for him and love for his people. He wants to, to open your mouth and give you words to speak. In words of encouragement and help. So we need to pray. We need to be a people who pray effectively. That is, we pray expecting God to manifest his mighty power in people's lives. All of us know people that are going through things that are so difficult and so hard that we can't even imagine how they're going to get through it. I told you about the, the uh, Steve and Vina Flesher and how they went through this horrible time. And they had a need that was so big, none of us knew what to do. But we just began to pray. We just began to ask God to work on their behalf, to do a miraculous work in their life. And he did. He did. And we were amazed by it. We were all surprised by it. It was what we were asking for, but God actually did it. And you know, he's able to meet your need. He's able to bring you through whatever you're facing. He's able to give you strength and power to live for him and to be a bold witness for Christ. It's what we all want. I want to be a bold witness for Christ, don't you? Don't you want to be able to speak to people about the living Christ? Absolutely. That's our great desire. And so let me pray for us in that very way. Father, we thank you. As we have gathered here together to worship you, our hearts have been blessed. We've actually joined our voices in praise and adoration, just like Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. That when the Spirit begins to work in us, he fills our hearts and our mouths with words of praise and songs of, of great praise for the living God. We thank you we've had this opportunity to be together. And now I pray, Father, that you would work in us, that you would help us to start doing this as a habit of life, that we spend our time in prayer, coming before you and asking for things that we were used to be too timid for, that we would ask you to do a great work, a lasting work, a work of transformation. Conform us to the image of Christ, we pray. Father, just keep your hand upon us. Help us to desire a a deeper relationship with you and a love for your people, Father. 
We pray that our church would be characterized by gospel-driven preaching of the Word of God. We pray that you would bless us as a people, that you would lift up our hearts, lift up our eyes to you, Father. We pray that our prayer would be to you, the mighty God who's able to change, who's able to transform people. And so we pray for that. We ask you as we as we uh, fellowship together, as we leave this place, that you would fill our hearts with a deep and profound expectation that you can do far more than we can imagine. And we are grateful for that. And that's what we want to see. That's what we want to experience, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.